Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. All right. Hot Breathiverse, welcome back. This is the Hot Breath Podcast, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. Today we are doing our series, Comedians on Skype, Talking Comedy, where you get to ask your favorite comedians your favorite questions. All of the questions are being asked in our Facebook group. So if you'd like to join in the future, if you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, go into the description, click join the Facebook group, and connect with hundreds of comedians from around the world and get access access to some of the top minds in comedy with no exception to today's guest one of the most unique voices in comedy prepare yourselves for the one and only jackie cation ladies and gentlemen give it up for jackie everyone yay oh let me uh there we go let me make sure i'm a. Uh... That's what I'm about to... Are you there? There it is. Yay, this is so... Okay, cool. This is our first Zoom, and I think we got it. <laughs> you think it worked? It pushed? It, it looks like uh, it looks like we're working. That's such a relief. Awesome. So, yeah. So, I think... Um, this is very professional, everyone. This is uh, comedians is on Zoom figuring out technology. Facebook trying to figure it out as well, like to make sure that it's going and stuff. Is that part of it? So it looks like I'm, yeah, I'm on there. So we should, yeah, I think we're good. Let me just take down that. So people in the comments, comment with your questions. And um, we are jumping off here. And I'll, I'll open up here just to ease into it because we just watched you do an hour long zoom kind of practicing your your next hour and right right what's yeah and i i like you using the format in that way and this is something you've been doing every thursday and a lot of times it's been open mic setting i haven't really seen a comedian use this time to actually work towards like an end project how long have you been doing this and what are you working on here uh, probably uh, since March, uh, since the middle of March, um, I've just been doing. At first, it started out because it's a it's a different room, right? It's a different venue. The mm -hmm. doing it online, and if you end up shouting into the internet, there's no back wall, so uh, it's mm -hmm. very hard to know the timing and all this stuff. But the so I was just I started out doing twenties. And I was like, well, I need, because I'm uh, I'm supposed to do a new album. I signed with uh, 800 Pound Gorilla to do a new album. Oh, nice. Album. Yeah. yeah. Can you turn your volume up by any chance? Yeah. Yeah, I think I can. I think they're it's, saying you're a little low. Well, how about that? Ooh. Yeah, is that a little, a little better? Yeah, Michelle was saying her volume's a little low. So let's see. Um, now is it a little hot? Is it a little That's a That little sounds hot. good right there to me. Sounds real good? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... I started doing twenties and then, um, and then I was like, well, twenties are great, <laughs> but eventually there has to be an arc and it has to. So for the past three weeks, I think I've been just doing every Thursday doing 60 minutes and it turns out because what all of my albums are about 45 to 55 minutes mm -hmm. and, um, 
and this one I assumed was going to be the same, but because of quarantine, it's delayed it. I've written a lot of new material. I pulled something from the last album that I've decided to put into this one that uh, didn't make it onto the last album. And um, so I'm at 70 minutes right now. That's a little long for me. I don't think anybody should. I mean, I granted, I would say live stand-up comedy. No one should. Um, and this is entirely my opinion. Uh, I know that I don't want to see the headliner do more than hour 15. Hmm. And uh, I, as much as uh, Mr. Chappelle is a genius, uh, I don't want to see six hours of anything. Uh, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want no part of it. So what Especially is that process? If you have what? like uh, 70 minutes right now, what is, because I couldn't, were you actually reading off the screen as well today? Like, are no, you word was, for uh, word or... No, no, I was I was working off of my set list, uh -huh. which was beneath. You know, it's, okay. Um, the old this is this is this week's notebook. Carmen Morales actually brought this. Of shit, I just spilled <laughs> my coffee. Oh, oh no! My God, I know it. It isn't right. Uh, there's trouble, but uh, uh, yeah, there's there's hi. trouble afoot. I can uh, if there's you trouble. you need a minute there, I'll I'll uh, I'll filibuster. I'll be your opener. I'll do yeah, some. Yeah, just uh, do, do, do some uh, do some vamping. No, yeah, I'll essentially, do if I move some, some things dabbing. to the side, you you can keep talking. Go ahead. Yeah. So people, um, yeah, go ahead and comment with your questions here. Thank you for everyone that's tuning in, and uh, gave us the heads up on the audio as well. So feel free to go ahead and comment with your questions. It's cool. Justin Williams is in here. He was in uh, the the live Zoom show. He said, "Hey, killer show." So that's great. Oh, that's great. Hey, uh, this, uh, what is, was sitting on top of, the only reason I have to move it is that this is a short box full of comic books. We don't want those to get trashed. No, we would rather so, not. No. Um, that, uh, everyone will be sad if I've destroyed uh, a month and a half of X-Men. Yeah, so, I, sh I shouldn't have asked. I asked about the writing, and then I, 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 I did that, and I apologize. So. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I literally, though, am going to run away and get a towel. I'll be right Yeah, back. please. Go ahead. Oh, Michelle said no no dab anymore. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate your, your support there. So this is a first. This is good. We've had guests bring notebooks on here before, but we've never had them slam them <laughs> or drop them and then accidentally spill coffee everywhere. So hopefully everything's okay. Nothing is completely broken. But uh, thank you to everyone that tuned in from Jackie's Zoom call. That's very cool. This is, if this is your first time hearing about us, we're... Hot Breath. We started as a podcast and now we're an online comedy education platform and we do these Q&As every single week and we also have a YouTube channel with more interviews and content as well as a weekly podcast. So if you love comedy and you love nerding out about comedy, this is your one-stop shop for all of that. So I appreciate your support. Michelle and saying never dab again. I guess you and my wife have been talking because... I dabbed during my comedy special and she still hasn't forgiven me. So, oh, Danny says spilling coffee everywhere is part of the process. 
It's part of the process. I mean, that's the great thing about a live show. You get to see what's happening. I know. We got Uh, to see like your Hot Wheels. Like, oh, the Hot Wheel collection is, uh, is to speak of ubiquitous. Yeah. um, My husband is uh, quite the collector of many Hot Wheels. Then we bought one of those rings so that I'd have better lighting. And then there's some more Hot Wheels. And then there's some, uh, some more Hot Wheels. And that's his curio shelf full of Micronauts. Who doesn't love a Micronaut? <laughs> What's a Micronaut? And, uh, it's a it's an action figure. Oh, okay. And then I'm just going to stack uh, board games that we ha- we haven't got to play because there's just the two of us. And so that's a new one. We've we played this one. Here's Fickle. Uh, I don't know what it is. I can't remember. But here's here's real nice. It's going to stack it up. Hi. S- so you both you both like you're both collectors. No, no, he's a collector. Oh, I'm he's just, just the collector. Oh, okay. You know, I have the, I, uh, I'm, I, I like board games and video. Like literally, this is. Uh, I will also show you that that's the 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 filing system for the comic books. Oh, okay. And um, and so uh, they're they're being sorted. Uh, we have ten thousand comic books in this house, and wow. it's nine hundred and fifty square feet. So <laughs> it's. It's pretty glamorous, <laughs> but I love him, and he likes stuff. So mm. uh, when when we moved in together, uh, he was like, "You'll never see him. The bed is lifted up high enough that we can slide the boxes under." He doesn't talk like that, and uh, so yeah. But it's been uh, it's been a journey. He's a game designer, so he has uh, and an art guy, so he's got a lot of um, he's got a lot of stuff that he needs to collect, I guess. Oh, but that's that's love. And are are you one of these comedians, I mean, like myself, that has like boxes of notebooks as well? I mean, you've been doing comedy since the eighties. Have you have you kept kept up with all of your notes and all that? I have, I have kept up, and it is huh. it is obnoxious because I'll tell you something. <laughs> um, uh, I realized how silly it was to keep those notebooks when Mark Marin told me that he kept all of his notebooks because he feels like when after he's gone. People will go through them and realize the genius that he was. And I'm like, yeah, nobody's nobody's going through our notebooks, man. And uh, and then I realized how – and I was telling Bamford that, and Bamford was like, well, you know, I um, I throw out my notebooks, Maria Bamford. <gasps> and I was like, you do what? What? And because, I mean – and because here's the thing. When I go from one notebook to the next notebook, ideally what I do is I um, I take like this the set list – that I'm working on and I transcribe it into the new notebook. Mm. And then I also go through the old notebook and, and, and find all the bits that never um, got fleshed out or anything. And I copy that into the new notebook. So the first four pages of every notebook is essentially, you know, the last notebook summarized by hand. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, back in the yeah, this is a this is a dinosaur right here. And, uh, yeah, there's some handwriting going on for sure. I, I've but, heard, and, and I don't have it. I, you know how like uh, Dat Fan and uh, Eliza Schlesinger on Last Comic Standing would talk about their Excel spreadsheets and how they've got it. And then, uh, jo- did you ever see uh, Joan Rivers' documentary? Yes, the card catalog. The card catalog, hilarious. Yeah. You're like, 
all right i'm nuts but i'm not that nuts <laughs> and uh but it's uh but we're all <sighs> but we're all nuts i mean why do i have uh, when i watched maria she was i was like you throw them out and she goes yeah want to see me do it right now <laughs> bam <laughs> And I was like, but, but eBay. And, yeah. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, don't touch it. And, uh, it was, and she only, she uses, um, uh, CVS notebooks. Mm. She just likes a, a, a ring, like a school notebook. Um, I, for a long time was using those cardboard, the, the card, the ones that look like school primers. Oh yeah. Like the Black composition books. Yeah. Composition books. Yeah, yeah. That's what I have right back here. Yeah. Yeah, and then I have some friends who like to use a yellow pad, like a yellow pad. This is kind of my favorite. It's kind of a mole skinny kind of thing, mm-hmm. and and it's nice that it has lines. Lines are lines are nice, um, but it doesn't have to because I tend to write. I tend I tend to write like uh, just all over anyway, right? Oh so yeah, let's see. A bunch oh of, yeah. So are you? There you go. Do you like do you freehand journal and then whittle ideas together? Like, do you have like a almost like a checklist you can put ideas through now? No, um, I I tend to do bullet points more mm. than anything. I just use keywords. The jokes on the set list. The joke might have five lines the first month I do it, and then by the end of it, it's just one line. I'm like, uh. oh yeah, same day. You know, I can uh, th- then, you know, it, it's like a it's like a band set list where you're like, oh, I know what that song is. They don't write all the lyrics down. I mean, until they're in their 90s and they're still doing them. Uh, but the uh, <laughs> the um, yeah. So initially it's just it's many different like that gender bit that I'm closing on mm-hmm. has about eight lines to the set list to make sure that I hit all those beats. Mm hmm. And eventually it'll just be called something like the gender bit or whatever. But when you're exploring an idea, I mean, I've, I've heard you talk about uh, like you and Maria Bamford will do. You'll play like joke machine. Yeah. yeah. It, what it what it what is that? How do you generate ideas through that? Oh, that uh, that's great. Matter of fact, um, I was I was doing it um, yesterday because I needed because I, I it's very annoying to write new jokes when you're trying to tighten up the hour and uh, you're like but this is a good joke right and but the um joke machine is essentially you tell um you hang out with any comic and i do it with several comics but you you tell the comic that you're hanging out with the joke or they you, they tell you the joke and then you and there's the only rule of joke machine is you can't say why would you do a bit about that mm. anyway uh or you have to you literally have to go well there's something there you know and and the feedback that can come from it if you can think of it is sort of an ang- another angle like um like i have an old bit Maria's classic on this one because she'll be like she wants the specificity she loves to know like I, I I do this joke about spooky reading girl and it's on like two albums ago and it's about me in junior high reading while I was trying out for the basketball team in ninth grade so I'm doing laps reading a book and that's a funny image there's a funny joke uh, but Maria was like what book were you reading 
Mm. And so then I had to kind of think about what books was I reading at that time and uh, pick a, pick the funniest one. And I picked The Bravest Teenage Yanks. It was a history of teenage boys who were in the Union Army who got the Medal of Honor. And um, remember, I'm 14. So I'm like, look at the handsome soldiers from the 1860s. Uh, I did not date when I was 14. So uh, yeah, I not until like 39, right? Right, right. I did exactly. Yeah. That's when I that's when I got married anyway. So yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's all joke machine is. Yeah, the okay. joke machine is just like like do you have a premise? What what's a what's a what's a new premise that you have? Well, uh the one I've been bouncing around is like my wife uh, likes to keep her phone on one percent. And I feel like there's two types of people, like people that are that those adrenaline junkies and then people that need it charged like full at all times. Is that you? Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. yeah so That's I've who, noticed yeah. that. And it there's something there, I feel like, but I haven't, I guess, given it due process. Right, right. Well, because and, and, and what it makes, you know, there's a couple of angles that you I could go with. You'd be like, well, the history of your own what what's your version of the adrenaline junkie right oh. it's like what do you do right or um the you are safety mouse right and how maybe how is she a safety mouse in a different way right does she have backup toilet paper for years and um and then oh. um you know it's like they're just like what's another angle to your premise it's like and, what's another uh, example of my, this trait about me or her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and making it personal is always nice. Or you could try to make it bigger. You're just like, well, um, 1%. And then, you know, for no reason you're like, well, you know, is, is it cause you've always wanted to be part of the 1% or, you know, some weird, like if you were a one liner kind of comic, right. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking there's something with, yeah, it's like 1% battery to the one percenters. I, f I thought there could be like right. a Venn diagram to maybe explore between the similarities and differences between those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You could go big. If you go big, then you go global, right? Then you go like, well, you know, and then you could be like, well, what about the Chinese children who made that? And then yeah. or you could go super personal and just go, Hey, uh, safety mouse doesn't uh, think that this is safe or, you know, or what your adrenaline, what, what do you do that's kind of like that? And you're like, well, I'm the kind of guy that likes to do, and this is not, you know, this is just a, it, it's like, I don't do the dishes at night. I leave them. I like to do them in the morning. Yeah. And maybe that's something that she's like, yeah, what about the rats? Anyway, so. Uh, I, it's almost like, I like that it's, I'm almost like. Making, I'm just as as we're using the joke machine here. It's almost the example is like, she's this way, but I'm no better type deal. As opposed to trying right. to this, this is what's wrong with her. It's like she's that way, but I'm even like worse type. Deal. So it's I'm still well, like the victim almost. Right. Well, then there's more comedy. In yeah. Making it about your own foibles. You know, you're just yes. like, I would like to be the hero of every story, but, you know, and it's, and it's hard kind of, um, it's very interesting for 30 years, I've been doing jokes about my dad and there's only one joke that he doesn't like about himself. And in many of the jokes about him, he is a, a 
fiery, fiery jackass. And he doesn't care about any of those. The one joke he doesn't like, it's on the Horcrux album, and it is uh, about an outfit that he met me at a McDonald's. Um, and he was wearing, he was going fishing. Uh-huh. And I thought it was a matching denim, like shorty shorts and, and a sleeveless denim cut off shirt and he was like i don't own anything unfinished i don't I, that outfit that you're seeing is not and i was like i don't know dad why, why would i make that up and he's like i don't know why but i don't own any cutoffs why would i own cutoffs and i'm like uh and he and i was like so this is the one the one where i call you i don't know uh skimming off the top that doesn't bother you like you're like uh, questioning your cowardice and your veracity no that's fine uh but i am dapper so that's it's very hilarious. funny about the but the jokes that i tended i want it's better if the jokes come from a place of love even if you're furious mm. right Ooh. like even if as mad as you are at the fact that like i do a joke about uh on the last album was um that my my dad is a lot like we never saw him when we were children but he affected all of our lives that is the joke now um it is it comes from a place of you weren't fucking there where the fuck were you but if i start doing the joke from that angle where the fuck were you that's not funny weird radiation analogy that's hilarious everybody knows exactly what i'm talking about interesting is that how many ideas how many have you found you'll have to go through like when you talked about the book example where maria was like but which book will you just list out like 10 books and then just start plugging them in and whichever one works best you'll keep kind of um it'll be you know the books that i can remember from when i read when i was 14 come to mind and then um and then i just it's not it's it's not even that deep you know there's only going to be four of them and so mm. whatever seems the silliest you know if i if i'm the my obsession with the american civil war when i was in ninth grade is hilarious to me and whether or not cuz that the, the the reference to the book doesn't always work like audience is just like what what are we getting a, a, a book report and uh so but i sometimes say huh. the line, it is obnoxious like be, because you, know, when you say tags just for yourself mm-hmm. and the three people that are psyched to get some weird you know, magic the <laughs> gathering reference you know uh-huh. it was like hey just come back and hear my dune joke and, how, is that how you were able because this is something that it Every comedian, especially starting out, all all comedians hear about is like finding your voice, finding your voice. And I feel like, I mean, me personally, 10 years in, I'm still exploring it. I found ways to say things that are seemingly starting to become unique to me. But like, what was your process for discovering your voice? And was it material versus how you're saying it? How And how long did it take you? Well, it's ongoing, right? I mean, mm. and and if you're a really good comic, your voice can change, and your Ooh. your um, you know, like if you look at people's albums, like uh, it's a gift that I know Maria Bamford, and I'm also a giant fan because she will be the example. Uh, if you look at her earliest, if you look at each album, her voice 
some people might think that there's a through line and there is a through line in everyone's humanity, right? I mean, whatever, like, even if you were to look at Richard Pryor, you know, he does family stuff and he does conflict stuff and he does stuff about himself and it's all, that's kind of the through line. That there's a through line. And there is a through line in every, uh, is, has been complicated, but he has, um, he can see truth in a lot of things and that's, and the truth is what's funny and it's what's poignant and it's what's interesting to me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, 10 years in, it's funny when you start doing stand-up, when you're about two or two and a half years in, you're like, Oh, I get it. And then when you're about seven years in, you're like, Oh, I get it. And then 10 years and then at 15 years and at 30 years, you're just like, Oh, right. And there's, I swear to God, there's wow. no end. I mean, huh. if you're doing, in my opinion, if you're doing it right, you're not. You're always finding another layer, and you're finding another, and you have, and you have to sort of mine your life. Like I don't, I haven't seen Stephen Wright recently. He's still working, but um, the way he writes is kind of a fa- it would be a fascinating conversation like this. Yeah, because he's so observational, right? Mm-hmm. Did you see the new, I have not, just see it, full disclosure, the new Seinfeld special? I have not yet, no. Okay, yeah, and I, but I understand it's, Seinfeld is an observational comic, and he, he was really, really good at it in the late 80s, early 90s, and nailed it, and then it got kind of hacked and um, co-opted by a lot of new other comics, so... I guess the new hour feels a lot like the old hour, but different topics. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you saw Deadpool 2, uh, but Deadpool 2 was exactly like at Deadpool 1. But I loved Deadpool 1. So I enjoyed Deadpool 2 because it was just more of that. So if you like, you know, Seinfeld from 1995, you're going to love this because it's just... and. But that's, you know, you can hone things that are, you know, somebody asked me probably 10 or 15 years ago, they're like, you still talking about your dad? And uh, uh, I became offended. And then I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, he's he's going to be, he's a standard, right? I mean, he's 84. He said, I don't know how long I'm going to make it. I said, I need another 20 minutes from you. <laughs> So you gotta live at least another three years. So dude, help me out here, Pop. He's like, well, all right, fine. <laughs> I'm I'm very inspired by you saying that it is an ongoing process, though, and at every stage of our career, it is like aha oh now i get it and then five years later you're like wait that wasn't no this is it i'm glad it's just like a never-ending <laughs> rubik's cube right right and it yeah because there's no done there's no mm-hmm. i mean that's that's if you think you're done i think that's when that's when the writing can stagnate and that's when the when the performance can can solidify you know i mean i don't i don't know i never saw rickles People love Rickles, right? And um, I never did see him, but I never really got him either. Like, I, I never thought he was really for me. Doesn't mean that he that he wasn't beloved. And, uh, mm-hmm. and people were like, I'm, I'm in it. And uh, But I don't know how much he changed in the 70 years he did stand-up comedy. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Some so people I think that play the hits. There's so many, there, yeah, there, and there's so many ways to do it, you know. So you don't want, like, like that Joan Rivers documentary. I remember watching her set. They showed several sets throughout the documentary, and going, "Oh shit, she's still writing," you know. And I was mm. like, I was psyched, you know. Yeah. Whenever, whenever I meet like a very bitter, you know, I'm a road comic, right? I mean, that's my that's my gig, and that is my bread and butter. And whenever I meet a very, a particularly bitter road comic, it's usually someone who stopped writing, you know, because I spend a fair amount of my time or I have, and now it's a point of sort of more muscle memory where, because for the last 20 years, you, you said that I, that I'm very successful and I am, but I'm not the successful that, you know. I, people are like, well, would, uh, are you on Netflix? And I'm like, uh, I subscribe. I still get the DVDs. And, uh, but I mean, it's like, there's, there's things I don't have. Right. And I may never get, and I can't overthink. So I spend a big portion of my time trying not to plan, uh, my attack on the, the industry, man. And, uh, I can't even get the heliums to book me. So what, you know, what? Wow. So why would I, yeah, I mean, why would I be like, what? I don't understand why I don't have an HBO special, you guys. Um, I, th- that's, that's the next level for me where I'm just like, I would like to do Philadelphia. Is there a way that there's huh. a, a club and, but there's, um, so, so it's interesting. The bitterness that I fight, it, uh, I think because I, I was told early on a couple of things. One was that I was told about Los Angeles that you have to choose to like it. And that's true of any town that you move to. Because there's there's things to hate about all of them. Like if I move to Omaha, there's probably 200 people in Omaha that I want to know. You know? And it would probably take me three years to find six of them. And uh, because, but that's true of any town, Right. There's probably 200 people in Los Angeles I want to know. And it's taken me 21 years to find 40 of them. And it's been great, you know. But there's 40 people that I love who live here. And uh, so that was the, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was uh, you got to choose to to like the place that you're living in. It makes sense. Mm. And then the other one was you get what you get. <laughs> and that was Fred Armisen. Um, Fred Armisen, the, the year he got Saturday night live, we were talking and he had just found out like a day or so earlier. And we were just hanging out at a club. He had just done stand up, and he was like, so what are you doing this week? And I said that I was going to Vegas to do some weird club. And he said, Oh man, I wish I could do the road. And I said, what? You just got Saturday night live. What's happening? And, uh, and he said, I said, you could totally do the road. And he goes, Jackie, no one's going to tolerate my, my costume changes. And, uh, which is what his standup was. He would do these characters, which is why it was kind of perfect for Saturday Night Live. Right. And, but he would do like a, a seven to 12 minute character. Wow. Uh, and then, which was perfect for Saturday Night Live. And 
you know, we were talking about the Saturday Night Live versus the road. And he said, you know, what I've what I've realized is that you get what you get, you know, and we both got amazing things. Right. Saturday Night Live is amazing. And you get to do the road, which is really cool. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely love the road and I love my life. And it's um, but, you know, there's always if I wanted to be upset, and sometimes I do, I could be pissy about what I don't have. And, uh, but it is a red flag sort of where I'm like, what is that going to get you? The th if I piss and moan about the thing I don't have, is that going to get me the thing I don't have? It is not. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's funny is I'm, the grass is always greener, I guess, where we were talking before this of I'm like, yeah, your your fan base, you have this engaged, loyal fan base. Like, that's what I'm really trying to cultivate is like a really it doesn't have to be a Kevin Hart fan base, just a fan base that cares and really wants to be a part of this community. And I was like nodding my tip of the cap to you for creating that. And it's just, but you're, but even you are like, yeah, but this, this, you know, it could always be better, right. I guess. If I wanted to, you know, I mean, in our heads, you think yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. Margot Robbie is probably sitting in her uh, mansion on a Scrooge McDuck pile of money going, why wasn't I offered that gig? Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's always, there's always that level. But I will say that, um, about fan base, it, one of, one of the greatest inventions is the, is, is this sort of technology, which makes it possible for you to, for anyone to do things, right? Removing the gatekeepers and all this stuff. So mm -hmm. I started the Dork Forest in 2006. And so I just have, you know, somewhere between, I think I, it's 11,000 listeners per week, which is not hundreds of thousands. It's not the, the Marin level. It's not um, the Joe Rogan level, but those, even the core sort of what I think of as the core kind of three or 4,000 of those people, they want to, they want to hang out. They want to see the thing. What, what new thing are you doing? And their, the, their fandom is a enormously supportive, super personal. And, um, and they all feel like people that I would hang out with, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh yeah, I they're just they're they're gamers and nerds and they read too much and they they <laughs> are occasionally socially awkward and <laughs> they feel like me. But it's like and and we touched on this a little bit before we started talking, but there are comics who they end up getting these fan bases that are I mean the classic example is of course Dice Clay, right? So Dice had a character that he did that was a horrible person. And then some horrible people were like, that's my guy. Let's do this. Woo! Let's fill Madison Square Garden with a bunch of shit bags. And, uh, and then you have 100,000 people who love you. And you're like, well, I should probably take their money before I leave. And, uh, <laughs> and you're just... You're trapped in this weird thing. And and then when you think about Louis C.K., right, where he was the darling of the alt comedy scene and his his writing was so heartfelt and so sort of powerful about the navel gazing and the trying to figure out his own psychological problems that when one of his real psychological problems came up and he got called on it and he admitted to it, you know. And um, 
And then he, you know, he was like, yeah, you guys are right. That was a shitty thing to do. Block the door, you know, have my dick out. It's all hard. And, uh, you know, I've been in plenty of green rooms with flaccid dicks out uh, because it turns out some dum-dums uh, are seven-year-old boys. And they're like, trow, trow, drop. But it's- Really? Nice. That's happened to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A, yeah, a lot? Yeah. A male comic is uh, just no, like, hello. Uh, I would say three times I've had dudes drop their trows because they think it's funny. Um, what? <laughs> these are not these are not nice men. These are not good men. This right. Is, see that look on your face? That's that joke that when I tell a story like that, they're like, what did you tolerate? What did you <laughs> wait? You didn't leave. Why didn't you just tell them to? Why didn't you call the police? What happened? And so this is the last gen. And by the way, those three guys, nice enough guys. Uh, you wouldn't want to be alone with them. Still You're around? Still like the they're door. still like well-known comics? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Okay. You, want, you want some chat room? You want some yeah. Ch- you yeah. Want we want it. Oh, you don't, you can't actually say it. Uh, I was just going to tell you. I wasn't going to tell. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know I, I do a podcast with Laurie Kilmartin where we, mm-hmm. um, we write down names of, uh, of crazy uh, things that have happened to us. Oh, but, you could do it in the chat. You were saying, yeah. It's oh, okay, yeah. Ooh, do you locker room. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> you will be surprised. Oh no. Yeah, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Nice enough guy, right? You just want to stand by the door. That's all. Well, you know. Anyway, it, what's interesting is like it's. I feel like when. When I he was coked up, by the way, is that an, well? That sort of well, yeah, that adds context. But it does seem <laughs> like when I've, for people I've interviewed, like when I'm like, why aren't they somewhere? Like, why aren't they somewhere like else type deal? Like, why aren't they further along type deal? I've done enough interviews to where it seems like there's always a reason. <laughs> yes, yeah, you can often tell, right? You know, there's that. That famous saying about, and this isn't, it wasn't written specifically about straight white guys, but it's, it's the best example. It's the most purest um, hypothesis for the success rate of straight white guys is that if you are on time, if you are a genius, or if you're easy to work with, uh, if you have all three of them, you will go uh, off the charts fine. Mm -hmm. If you have two of three, you are employable. If you are always late, but you're a genius and you're um, good to work with, people people will tolerate it. If you're uh, a pain in the ass to work with, but you're a genius and you're always on time, just don't lose that genius. And uh, I love so, that though. Yeah, the three traits. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird analogy. Nobody fails upward better than Donald Trump, though. That guy Boom. has failed upward the whole way. That's it. Let's uh, send him to the moon. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, let's get into uh, uh, some fan questions here as well. Um, sorry to hog the questions here. Um, <laughs> we just got some momentum. I felt very engaged there. Like the more I'm doing these, sure. like over Skype, I, I used to always, my rule was I'll only do them in person. So I would wait for people to come through Atlanta or when I was out on the road or something. But with I this. I used to do that with Dork Forest. Yeah. And now we're, but at least with Zoom, you can, and we, we can see each other, which yeah. I think helps a great deal in Skype. Oh, but let me finish the whole. The, uh, can I finish the analogy? Please, because Louis yeah. C.K.'s uh-huh. yeah, because Louis C.K. had this thing where 
He admitted that uh, that uh, blocking the door with his hard dick was a bad thing, and making people watch him finish was gross and terrible. And so he apologized for it. And then he was like, "I'm gonna, you know, take some time and do some remuneration." And ten months later, he decided that it wasn't that bad. And uh, and so he came back and he's like, "It wasn't that bad, you guys. Just it's it, yeah, it, they could have left. It would have been fine." You're like, eh, "Could they have?" Anyway, you're you're it really. That it's a rationalization that's nuts. But the weird thing is, is I was going to talk about his fan base, his fan mm. base for so long. And I was always, I mean, I get it. You know, I, I thought he was funny, but he was never my, I always wanted, you know, he had that, that policy of doing a new album every year. Right. And I always wanted him to give some of those jokes another 18 months because tighten them up, especially me with, I'm super wordy and uh, it takes three or four years to do a new album. But, um, but his new fans, Louis CK's new fans are a lot of just plausible, you know, deniability kind of weirdos, you know, and it's, it, it can't make him happy, you know, because they aren't the brightest and, and they're not, they're not the brightest comedy fans what you want is you want smart fans right mm -hmm. you want comics you want fans that are going to get your jokes and get even your weird references you don't want people who defend blocking a door with your hard dick <laughs> why would you want that to be your fan base <laughs> but that's what you get when you don't do the work because mm -hmm. there's there's two things about stand-up comedy one is the stand-up comedy, which is almost has was probably eighty-five percent of my life for seventeen years, and then I decided that I would like a rest of a life—a boyfriend, possibly a home, uh, maybe a family—if I were to have a baby, which I did not, and that's fine. <laughs> but um, but uh, I decided that I want, and you have to work on that second part of your life if you are just a comic for fifty years. And you are never the rest of it. Like, you meet a guy who's a comic who um, becomes sort of a better dude once he starts having kids. Mm. Because he realizes that there is more to it. And he it gets him out of his own head, you know? Anyway, but I, ju I was just saying that the new fan base for Louis C.K. is a drag. Because that guy has... And he still has potential. He could still figure out how to fix his his the life part of his life which i think would make his stand up better yeah but it I almost is like a mirror back to what, mm, like your audience is almost a I, mirror of what you're putting out there right mhm mm and i always bring it back to the stand up i'm like don't you want to don't you want to sober up so then you could have better stand up no all right, all right. don't you want to stop being a piece of shit so that your stand ups but no all right, all right. <laughs> I mean, and and that is just the meddler in me. I mean, it's none of my business. <laughs> yeah. Everybody gets to do whatever they want to do on stage, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 30, as long as it's 60. funny. Like, it's it's like it's got to oh, get no, a laugh. Not even if it's if well, they got if they got hired, uh, you know, like I've had any number of features over the last 35 years where you're like, well, I guess I'll be following that. And uh, <laughs> you can't. There are some headliners who tell the features what they can and cannot do. And, and if you can afford to, you bring your own feature. Mm -hmm. But um, but I've never been a person to tell people. Like, when I was coming up, there was a there was the club owner was like, 
the first weekend of hunting season, none of the rest of the comics in Minnesota could do jokes about the hunting season because <laughs> he wanted them all. And I was like, ah, this is the perfect storm of a <laughs> shitty headliner activity. Yeah. <laughs> everybody gets to do whatever jokes they want to do. Granted, if I follow you and you've done some sort of horrible racist misogynistic bullshit i will probably mock you openly but mm -hmm. that i i won't stop you from doing it and that actually uh ties into our first question perfectly because uh justin williams asked how do you select your opening comedian for your tours and have you performed in canada yes uh i've done um you know canada being Vancouver, Winnipeg, Montreal, Toronto, uh, and Toronto um, suburbs. So uh, that's what I've done in Canada. And then, um, and I don't always get to pick, you know. Um, more and more lately, I have um, been taking Carmen Morales, who mm. uh, did the guest set today. She's great. And uh, she's great. She's, uh, she's headlining a, a lot of clubs already. But it, you know how it is on the road. It's just fun to have someone that you want to go to lunch with, and yeah. uh, and and she's really good at joke machine. So we we tend to write together, and we she's good people to hang out with, and and I'm like, but I don't make enough money to make it worth. I mean, we have to figure out some routing so that she can like I can bump her some money for my money. And then she'll make the whatever the shitty feature money is, yeah. and uh, and I can, and we can try to find her housing because features they're not putting features up anymore. But I'm only so many people have asked me if they could feature for me in the last fifteen years, right? I've only got to pick in the last two, and there's people that I've wanted to bring for fifteen years. So uh, I'm not really taking new applications mm -hmm. for if you if you know for openers. But, yeah. well, you um you you've opened for Maria a lot, and I'm curious because I always research my guests, and I was trying to research you and the origin of that relationship. I mean, you don't have to go too far into it, but how did y'all actually meet? Because it seems like a magical relationship. Well, '92 at the open mics in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a Minneapolis comic. I'm a Minneapolis wow. comic. Oh, wow. I moved there in '90. Um, she started in '92, and in 2001. Uh, I think the first time we started really going on the road together where I was opening for her was in 2001, right after her Burning Bridges tour, and uh, which is such a, a great name because she, uh, she ended up doing a lot of clubs um, before, like she had, you know, it's, it's like when they sent... Uh, it, was, it was just early. She hadn't done a lot of road road work, so she she thinks that she burned a lot of bridges on that on that first road run of headlining so she called her first album the burning bridges to her and it was right after that she was like how would, would you be willing to come with me there's there would be little or no money involved <laughs> right. and um because i will have to pay for your air and then we would have to share a room we'll get a room with two beds we don't have to spoon uh and then We'll live like a band. And uh, and then, and so that was in 2001 was when I first started going with her. And so I would do her, uh, I would do some of her weeks with her. I would do my own weeks. And, um, and then recently I'm doing her weeks that I can do. 
my own weeks. And then I'm also opening a little bit for uh, maybe twice or three times a year for Brian Regan. Very cool. And that's super cool just because you get to watch Brian Regan three or four times. And that's a delight. Yeah. 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 One of the we've reached out to his people about being on here, but you know we'll see. Yeah, oh, I'm just throwing hail marys. It's some, I'm just like, why not? I don't know. You gotta ask. You never know. Yeah, you don't ask, you certainly don't get it. Exactly. Well, that's good to know. What a what a what a wow. What a um. What a great ally to have! A comic you started with, and you just can continue to excel together. That's great. That's a lot of yeah, a lot of the like, comics I, would... I started with moved out and have found great success. But like my whole mindset starting comedy was like, I'd like to build it. I'd like to build an independent career within Atlanta and show other comics you don't have to move to create your own success. So that's always been my mindset. But to the hindrance of not being in a New York or L.A. where you're in the proximity of the best comics. So then that elevates you as well. Like there's a there's a pro and con to each of it, of course. But right. That's the path I chose. And yeah. And if and if you have a whole life in Atlanta Mm-hmm. You, and you still get to you win it's yeah yeah <laughs> thank you, you. thank you, you, you. yeah you're welcome <laughs> all right so let me uh let's get to the next one here we have um uh let me see uh michelle asks if there are any jokes from the 80s that you still perform today no Anyway, good uh, deal. <laughs> the, uh, but she did follow up. Like so, uh, yeah. so almost as like a joke evolution that this may be able to tie into. Because um, also she was saying, as you evolve and grow as a comic, do the standard jokes about your dad or other topics do those evolve as your jokes and you evolve? I think so. Yeah, I mean, for ex- the dad stuff is a is a good example. Like I've been doing jokes about my dad since the since the beginning i will occasionally yeah i think like the oldest joke no those are from the 90s no but i did write it in the 80s Hmm. anyway uh there's um there's i think i did do a joke from it was about and it was literally i mean in 1984 i think i wrote a joke about how i took a class in high school so i was 19 when i started right and so I was doing jokes about my high school classes. And in high school, I took a class called biking and bowling. And I thought that it would be like polo, where we would get on our bikes and bowl. But it was not. It was bike to the bowling alley, bowl, bike back home. Bikes not included. Wow, I can't believe I remember this bike, this wow. joke. Bikes not included. My bike was a 1972 lime green Sears 10-speed, a vehicle so advanced the gears switch by themselves. Just the the chain slipped. Anyway, um, <laughs> but literally that was the whole joke. There's uh-huh. not a lot of laughs in that joke, but um, it's an interesting image. Uh, <laughs> you could see it, yeah. <laughs> right. If I were to do that joke today, I would want some real joke. There, we would have to put some cogs and wheels on that. We would have to joke machine that up, just because it's such an interesting. It's an interesting story image. But what would the uh, I don't know what the bit would be now, but it would have to evolve for mm-hmm. sure. 
Nice. Yeah. And writing is like a muscle that it's like the more you do it, the stronger it gets. So you'll start to like, as you were saying, looking at topics from different angles I'm sure at your point that it's almost like the matrix or whatever to where you're just like, here's an idea. And then you can just start to kind of formulate. Let me think about it from this angle. And then maybe I come up from underneath it or maybe I look at it from way back here. Like you just automatically do it now. Right. There's there's several there's there are sort of several filters that I can run it through immediately to see if there's something there. And then uh, and, and then working it out on stage will sometimes jog other stuff mm-hmm. awesome yeah good question michelle um uh, chase bonin he asks, how important are transitions to you your albums seem to flow seamlessly from track to track is that how you write them or as you perform does it start making natural connections Ooh. Uh, what i'm doing right now with the hours that i'm running on thursdays is definitely trying to find the right order right Mm -hmm. i mean you were at the show today Mm -hmm. the the flirting bit i was like this doesn't go here there's no transition there's no segue there's no nothing but i had to do it so i just started got into the bit so what ends up happening is the topics sort of lead into each other and if they if and if they don't organically i just move them into something that has anything to do with it (laughs) if there's if i've mentioned uh my dad and then there's a tiny story that about my husband and then all of a sudden hey it's the married junk and then uh i've talked about my husband and then at the end of that there's some weird social justice thing and then i'm like oh we can talk about uh uh, the nature of good dudes versus dirtbag dudes and whatever because I mean, it's weird, the topics that everybody's doing right now, is there's so much parallel thought, mm. because you would think there would be more just because we all have all this information, but it's interesting. It's like, oh, all right, I guess we're all doing something about gender. We're all doing something. Weirdly enough, a lot of people doing stuff about Schrodinger's cat. I really? started doing that joke about six months ago. Since then, four different comics talking about Schrodinger's cat. Mm-hmm. I have a different analogy uh, and a different angle on it, but uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it'll help people remember who Schrodinger is easier. From yeah. my bit, what is your opinion on parallel thought? That we do a we do a daily writing club in this group. It's where we meet up and we get a random word and then we write for ten minutes, and mm-hmm. just as an exercise. And that's that's come up a few times with like parallel thought and if you do have a parallel thought do you kill it or do you if it's a different angle like you said you keep it like what's your opinion on parallel thought i think that it's um if you have a different angle it's it's certainly not a problem right Mm -hmm. if it's exactly the same joke and that person did it on an album or on television that's you know there's very levels to it right um i had an album out I think it was the bread album that I did the LA pet joke. And it was about, it was a long bit about pet owners in Los Angeles. There's an animated copy of it. It's a very beautiful animated, you, um, hair love the, the Oscar winning short animated short this year. Uh, the guy who, uh, that guy's team animated my uh, LA pet joke. Very exciting. That is so cool. And he's a fucking genius. That joke, that LA pet joke is a great joke. He put so many awesome images behind it that made it, I would say, 
twice as funny, if hmm. not three times as funny. He was amazing. Anyway, um, but the L.A. Pet joke in one of the jokes, because all of my bits start out six minutes. They end up three minutes. There's uh, five or six punchlines. And one of the punchlines was about how it was $3,000 for diabetic cat medicine. That's 3,000 new cats because cats are free. That's the joke. Um, and I did it. It would have been 10 years ago. So about four years ago, I was still doing that bit, I think. Maybe five, maybe six years ago, five years ago. And I was still doing that bit. And uh, I did it one night at the improv. Uh, it was just a showcase lineup, a bunch of 10-minute sets, right? And three or four comics after me, Tom Papa went up. And Tom Papa, hilarious beautiful writer, beautiful comic, went up, destroyed for his uh, 10 to 15 or whatever he did, but he had the exact same joke. $3,000 for diabetic cat medicine, 3,000 new cats. Uh, cats are free. Verbatim. So he destroyed for his entire chunk, except that joke, which they had just heard me do. Dead silence. He comes off stage and I said to him, hey, uh, I just did that joke. And he was like, what? I just bought diabetic cat medicine for my cat like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I did it uh, six years ago. And uh, and I don't think he knew that it was on my album because he put it on his special. Whoa. Yeah. But it was literally parallel thought, right? Yeah. And um, I have never gotten any guff from anyone going, hey, you stole it from Tom Papa. Or, and I would hope that he wouldn't get any guff hey you stole it from jackie cation seems unlikely but uh <laughs> the uh but yeah parallel thought is it's real and it and it also if you think about it even if it isn't parallel thought like when my stuff is almost impossible to steal but the premises aren't but um but i think the bits are kind of hard to steal mm -hmm. i had a friend of mine in the 90s who had he insisted his married barbie joke stolen that uh, uh barbie got divorced and so if you buy the divorce barbie it comes with all of ken's shit mm -hmm. that was the joke ah the hilarity anyway but it's a very 1997 98 joke and um he was talking to me and matt weinhold comic from san francisco really funny guy he's got a he's got one album on he's mostly a writer now but um he had an album called funhouse i think matt matt weinhold uh but he we were trying to explain to dave that you just write another joke man just write another joke if someone steals your joke and puts it on television you're screwed there's nothing there you have no recourse and uh here's the good news you're probably a better writer mm. than that person and you will continue to write jokes I love it. Oh, and this can fall into our uh, final question here from Danny Hux, who actually asks, speaking of writing, how do you break writer's block? Ah, I have a uh, a thing that I pulled. Actually, I think I pulled it out of the, uh, the artist's way. You know that mm, book? Everybody yes. That book. And uh, there was, but it's one of my favorite, it was one of my favorite tools that she put in one of the back of the chapters. It was to break your life into five-year chunks. Hmm. Like if, 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 you know how like when you write, you write and then um, you dry up and there's a plateau. And if you're lucky, you got enough premises to work on until the next uh, burst of premises show up. 
<clears throat> but um <clears throat> pardon me the uh it's not the rona I was, so, I know every um, every time someone coughs we're like wait was that was that the rona what that wasn't it that wasn't it and uh the, uh but uh so but if you break your life into five-year chunks zero to five anything interesting happened to you or a loved one when you were zero to five years old anything interesting happened six to ten anything interesting happened 11 to 15 16 to 20 21 and as i get older holy smokes just breaks it up you can mm. look into your life at in, in five-year chunks you can look into your siblings parents extended family life then you branch out what was happening in your town in those five years and then you can happen what was happening in your race what was happening in your gender what was happening in your sexuality what was happening in um world politics what was happening in specific uh in the middle of ghana what was happening in ghana in 1998 uh whatever you know and um you can you just widen the circle and if you keep widening it you will find a premise and um and then you'll write a joke and it won't be very good. And then you'll keep writing. So don't worry about it. Because eventually you'll write like a signature bit. If you keep doing stand-up comedy and you're any good at it or have a, kind of an aptitude. Because I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a learned. the weird One of the weirdest things I learned early on. Not even early on. Middle on. Is that I used to think that if you were smart enough. You could. And, and funny. <clears throat> and understood it you could anyone could do stand-up if you were smart and funny and then i met a woman who was incredibly smart very dark very funny horrible comic holy shit she was terrible at it she the audience hated her from the moment she opened her pie hole hmm. and i was like what is she doing and she had it was not it wasn't even it was it was stage presence which everyone is born with now, right? All the new baby comics that are coming up, they all have good dental and um, and they all are better looking. Like when I started doing stand-up, it was usually just crazy people and the unattractive who did stand-up. And, um, and then if you're Paul Provenza, you get put through a rock tumbler and you end up being handsome. So uh, it's all nice. But the... Uh, <laughs> the um, but uh, yeah, but all the, all the new comics... And it's so interesting to see really good-looking young comics. And I'm like, why are you funny? And then you remember that they were all raised on, like, Adderall. And mm. uh, and then th and they were all on, on, like, antipsychotics growing up because their parents couldn't handle it. And then they turned 18 and started smoking pot and drinking booze. And now it's a cocktail and they make themselves crazy, but they're still good-looking. And then they're funny. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a. It's a theory. It's speculation. That's, uh, I forgot what I was talking about. It's amazing. We went from writer's block to now, <laughs> the young, attractive generation. But how some some yes. people wait. You were in, you used that lady as an example of she was very smart, very funny, but would walk an audience. But it, I'm sure you've been doing comedy long enough to where it seems like some people it takes them 15 years. If they just stick with it, they eventually maybe have a breakthrough. Like if you just keep banging your head against the wall, eventually it'll crack. Right, right. Uh, and it doesn't. And if you're banging your head against the right, I always say this: if you're banging your head against the right wall, um, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt your head. Uh, mm. But you are at least found the correct wall. Uh -huh. But the, I, I, here's a good story that maybe may end on. But um, so. There was a guy doing a one-nighter. It was a, it's a weekend room that isn't there anymore outside of Minneapolis. And um, 
And there was a guy who had been doing stand up for easily 15 years. And he came and he, the club was like, no, we got him doing a, Chris is going to do a guest set. And my buddy Dave, literally, he was like, the guy did the guest set. He came off stage and Dave said that he went up to him and he said, you have to stop doing stand up comedy. I've been watching you for 15 years. You've never had a good set. You've never said anything funny. And I was like, what the fuck did you do? And he goes, he's terrible. And I said, yeah, it has nothing to do with you. And he was like, it was on my show. And I said, well, you can tell him that he can't do guest sets on your show, but you can't tell him he can't do stand-up comedy. And he goes, he has to stop, Jackie. And I was like, no, he doesn't. No, he... And he said, well, Jackie, here's the thing. I went to him and I told him that he sucked and he had never said anything funny and it had been 15 years and he had to stop. You know what happened the next night? It was a Friday, Saturday. He showed up on Saturday for a guest set. And I was like, that's because he wins. He wins, Dave. You don't win. That guy, as bad as he is, he used to he used to open up with this terrible Cabbage Patch Kid joke. He was never funny. This guy was not a funny guy. So, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I, I'm like if a Cabbage Patch Kid and another thing turned into a poof. What? You know, it's me. And you're like, oh. Stop. Oh, 15 years in, still doing I Look Like XYZ. Oh, boy. Gotcha. Oh, well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I trouble. guess that's, that's good. Yeah, I, I trust your opinion on that on terms of. Yeah, it was. It, but you can't tell him you can't do stand up comedy. You can't. Stand up comedy is like is like telling somebody <sighs> if they say what they're doing is stand up comedy. It's stand-up comedy. If you are Gallagher and you're breaking crap, it's stand-up comedy. If you have a rubber chicken and you're waving it at the world, it is stand-up comedy. If you are the driest motherfucker in the world, that's stand-up comedy. And if it's storytelling, if it's one-liners, that's the you can't tell somebody that they're not doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. You can you could say, "Huh, that is not for me," and uh, I say that. <laughs> so. As we closing advice here, you know, you've been doing comedy over 30 years. So what what advice our core listenership are comedy nerds and more specifically like comedians that are just out there on the grind. So like what kind of advice could you bestow upon us moving forward in our comedy careers? Well, what I would say is that if you want the full version of this in 1985, I think uh, I met my first comic um, I, I was given uh, this advice and I framed it and I put it on the wall in my bathroom. Mm. And uh, I don't know why it's in the bathroom, but there it is. Oh, <laughs> what does that mean? That didn't take. But it was uh, it's advice that um, that this woman wrote. And um, she still does stand up. She stopped doing it for about 10 years and ended up. Um, she ended up doing it. uh uh, again, after uh, like a, a ten-year gap where she was teaching yoga to the Dixie Chicks, I think, and uh, <laughs> so she was very much a groover, right? And um, <clears throat> but her advice is the same advice I would give anyone. You, you just, um, just the best advice was probably be patient and have mm-hmm. fun. Those were the two my two favorites. I just tried. It's on my. It's on the front page of my website. It's the advice I got when I first started doing comedy. It's a link on the front page, lower left. Uh, the link looks broken. Going to have to talk to my web guy. Anyway, but the advice is essentially be be patient with your creativity and be patient with your career. 
because there will be plateaus and there will be leaps and there will be valleys and and have fun makes works with that because if you are having fun every show and you can't by the way you can't have fun on every show sometimes you're in your head too much but if you remind yourself to have fun you will have more fun than if you do not remind yourself to have fun i remember i got off stage at last comic standing um the semifinals and bill dwyer was right in front of me he had just done his five minute set he got off stage he grabbed me by the shoulders and he goes guess what once you get out there it's just stand-up comedy you're gonna be great and then he kept moving which was the greatest pep talk in the world right yeah so yeah so be patient with your career with your creativity and um with um and remember to have fun all right. Well, this was so much fun. Uh, Jackie, please let let the Hot Breathiverse know like where they can follow you, support you, join your, your whole okay. world you have. Well, I'm going to fix that link, and then you can look at it directly, <laughs> uh, the, the advice. If you go to JackieCation.com, and JackieCation.com is easy enough because um, it's also FamilyPetAncestry.com, dating back to that old L.A. pet jet. <laughs> Which I bought LA pet. I bought LA. I bought uh, familypetancestry.com because it made me laugh. But now they are actually doing DNA tests of people's pets, and it's uh, completely bananas. So if you go to uh, all, it's just at Jackie Cation, Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, uh, Instagram, all Snapchat, all the things. And I have two podcasts: The Dork Forest, where I interview people about what they love, and a lot of it. If you have a favorite comic. Or a favorite dorkdom. If you type in the words "the dork forest" and the name of your favorite comic, they've probably done an episode. Hmm. It's a uh, Kathleen Madigan talking about the Kennedys is particularly one. Okay. So Guy Branum talking about the Mitford sisters also a delight. Uh, all the things. Marin talking about blue jeans weird. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> Jimmy Pardo talking about the band Chicago. Anyway, so but you can you can do whatever you want. And uh, and then I have another podcast entirely about stand-up comedy where Lori Kilmartin and I uh, celebrate and bitch about it for one hour each week, The Jackie and Lori Show. And uh, you should have Kilmartin on. She writes for Conan. She's a road comic. For sure. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And is a delight. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to have Lori on. Cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, that is the it. Hot breath of verse. Go forth, support Jackie and all she is doing. We will link all of that in the description. If you are watching this later or listening to this later, go into the description. Click join this Facebook group. You're missing out if you're not in here. So we're getting comics like Jackie on here. This nowhere else is doing this. I mean, come on. So go forth. Follow this advice. Thank you, Jackie, for your time and valuable wisdom. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.